t-shirts in the shop. Just go to pgttcm.com, check out all of our cool t-shirts and stickers. Heck, we even got some shower curtains in there. Keep clean, look cool, have cool stickers to put on stuff. Join us on Patreon and get a free sticker. Or don't. It's up to you. spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Hear your host, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classics and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher, or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Price, and Joel Hodson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival. Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and the head of Rondo Hatton, only on Monster Kid Radio. This episode is brought to you by California Tea House. California Tea House is a family-owned tea store where you can find some of the world's best loose-leaf tea and organic herbal tea blends. Like a fine wine, there is no comparison between fine loose-leaf and common broken-leaf tea bags. So, yeah, no, check them out. Check them out. They have quite a bit of pretty awesome tea collections. I'm a huge fan of their white teas. Uh, They have a tea club that you can join, but, you know, they've got green tea, black tea, white tea, oolong, that uh, robios and herbal tea. They've also got teaware. So check out California Tea House in the show notes. Hey everyone, it's me, DB. New sponsor on the show, Clary. Clary offers a great price and better quality goods and services for music lovers. Are you looking for good prices, free shipping, 100% quality guarantee? Clary's got you covered. Guitars, bass guitars, mandolins, they've got saxophones, trumpets, drums, they've got guitar cases, amplifiers, all the stuff that you need without having to break the bank. Inexpensive doesn't have to mean cheap. Check out the show notes to find more about Glary. 20 watt amplifiers for under $50. Hard cases for your electric guitar for under 80. Guitars themselves for under $90. Come on folks, check out the show notes. Get a Glary. You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. and Farmer Dave, here once again to talk to you about the Cthulhu Mythos, its books, its monsters, its unfortunate human casualties, its timeline in general, and even its tangential bits, like the dreamlands or things of a weird nature that are Lovecraftian leaning. Once more we head into those dark woods, further feeling those malevolent forces upon us. Once again we walk down the lightless stone staircase in the middle of nowhere. You're listening to KZOM. Hey everyone, welcome back to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. It's one of our reading episodes, and this episode we will be going through... Let's see, it's the... 
Rinkitink. Rinkitink. Oh, you know, our reader does it way better than I do. Rinkitink in Oz. So, yeah, this is, what, the 7th, 8th, 12th book in the Oz series? It's getting in there. We're getting in there, yeah. And I'm going to chop this up into 12 parts. So there's going to be two two chapters each 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 episode. So, hey, we've got that for the month of October. And maybe I'll throw in some ghost stories at the end of the month. Don't hold me to any of that because I'm not 100% sure how October is going to go. And if you are lucky enough at the very beginning of October, H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival. And there is also going to be a second H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival that's going to be less in person and more of a streaming thing. Check us out on there. Dave's got some stuff going on on that. I'm going to have some stuff going on on that. And also, I'd like to welcome our newest sponsor, Taza Chocolate, Stone Ground Chocolate. And you know what? This is super minimally processed. If you're like me and you have a bunch of food allergies, you can't do dairy, they have dairy-free chocolates. They, they, they use dairy alternatives, uh, minimally processed, of course, organic. I love them. You love them. Taza Chocolates, they, they come in those discs that you can break up and put into hot beverages and stir up. Ooh, I love it so much. Anyway, Oz. So why not? I don't know, sit down with a nice warm beverage. We've got the tea that you can get. We've got the coffee you can get. I don't know, maybe microwave some psychedelic water, baby. All right, here's some Oz. Let's get weird. This recording by Phil Chenevere. Rinky Tink and Oz by L. Frank Baum. Chapter One. The Prince of Pingaree. If you have a map of the Land of Oz handy, you will find that the great Nonestic Ocean washes the shores of the Kingdom of Rinkitink, between which and the Land of Oz lies a strip of the country of the Gnome King and a sandy desert. The Kingdom of Rinkitink isn't very big, and lies close to the ocean, all the houses and the King's palace being built near the shore. The people live much upon the water, boating and fishing, and the wealth of Rinkitink is gained from trading along the coast and with the islands nearest it. Four days' journey by boat to the north of Rinkitink is the island of Pingaree, and as our story begins here I must tell you something about this island. At the north end of Pingaree, where it is widest, the land is a mile from shore to shore. but. At the south end, it is scarcely half a mile broad. Thus, although Pingaree is four miles long from north to south, it cannot be called a very big island. It is exceedingly pretty, however, and to the gulls who approach it from the sea, it must resemble a huge green wedge lying upon the waters, for its grass and trees give it the color of an emerald. The grass came to the edge of the sloping shores. The beautiful trees occupied all the central portion of Pingaree, forming a continuous grove where the branches met high overhead, and there was just space beneath them for the cozy houses of the inhabitants. These houses were scattered everywhere throughout the island, so that there was no town or city unless the whole island might be called a city. The canopy of leaves, high overhead, formed a shelter from sun and rain, 
and the dwellers in the grove could all look past the straight tree-trunks and across the grassy slopes to the purple waters of the Nonestic Ocean. At the big end of the island, at the north, stood the royal palace of King Kittycut, the lord and ruler of Pinkaree. It was a beautiful palace, built entirely of snow-white marble and capped by domes of burnished gold, for the king was exceedingly wealthy. All along the coast of Pingaree were found the largest and finest pearls in the whole world. These pearls grew within the shells of big oysters, and the people raked the oysters from their watery beds, sought out the milky pearls, and carried them dutifully to their king. Therefore, once every year, his majesty was able to send six of his boats with sixty rowers and many sacks of the valuable pearls to the kingdom of Rinkitink, where there was a city called Gilgad, in which King Rinkitink's palace stood on a rocky headland and served, with its high towers, as a lighthouse to guide sailors to the harbor. In Gilgad the pearls from Pingaree were purchased by the king's treasurer, and the boats went back to the island laden with stores of rich merchandise and such supplies of food as the people and the royal family of Pingaree needed. The Pingaree people never visited any other land but that of Rinkitink, and so there were few other lands that knew there was such an island. To the southwest was an island called the Isle of Frex, where the inhabitants had no use for pearls, and far north of Pingaree, six days' journey by boat, it was said, were twin island named Regos and Corrigos, inhabited by a fierce and warlike people. Many years before this story really begins, ten big boatloads of those fierce warriors of Regos and Corrigos visited Pingaree, landing suddenly upon the north end of the island. There they began to plunder and conquer, as was their custom. But the people of Pingaree, although neither so big nor so strong as their foes, were able to defeat them and drive them all back to the sea, where a great storm overtook the raiders from Regos and Corrigos, and destroyed them and their boats, not a single warrior returning to his own country. This defeat of the enemy seemed the more wonderful, because the pearl-fishers of Pingaree were mild and peaceful in disposition, and seldom quarreled even among themselves. Their only weapons were their oyster-rakes, yet the fact remains that they drove their fierce enemies from Regos and Corrigos from their shores. King Kittycut was only a boy when this remarkable battle was fought, and now his hair was gray, but he remembered the day well, and, during the years that followed, his one constant fear was of another invasion of his enemies. He feared they might send a more numerous army to his island, both for conquest and revenge, in which case there could be little hope of successfully opposing them. This anxiety on the part of King Kittycut led him to keep a sharp lookout for strange boats. One of his men patrolling the beach constantly, but he was too wise to allow any fear to make him or his subjects unhappy. He was a good king and lived very contentedly in his fine palace, 
with his fair queen Garee and their one child, Prince Inga. The wealth of Pingaree increased year by year, and the happiness of the people increased too. Perhaps there was no place, outside the land of Oz, where contentment and peace were more manifest than on this pretty island hidden in the bosom of the Nonestic Ocean. Had these conditions remained undisturbed, there would have been no need to speak of Pingaree in this story. Prince Inga, the heir to all the riches and the kingship of Pingaree, grew up surrounded by every luxury. But he was a manly little fellow, although somewhat too grave and thoughtful, and he could never bear to be idle a single minute. He knew where the finest oysters lay hidden along the coast, and was as successful in finding pearls as many of the men of the island, although he was so slight and small. He had a little boat of his own, and a rake for dragging up the oysters, and he was very proud indeed when he could carry a big white pearl to his father. There was no school upon the island, as the people of Pingaree were far removed from the state of civilization that gives our modern children such advantages as schools and learned professors. But the king owned several manuscript books, the pages being made of sheepskin. Being a man of intelligence, he was able to teach his son something of reading, writing, and arithmetic. When studying his lessons, Prince Inga used to go into the grove near his father's palace and climb into the branches of a tall tree where he had built a platform with a comfortable seat to rest upon, all hidden by the canopy of leaves. There, with no one to disturb him, he would pour over the sheepskin on which were written the queer characters of the Pingarese language. King Kitticut was very proud of his little son, as well he might be, and he soon felt a high respect for Inga's judgment, and thought that he was worthy to be taken into the confidence of his father in many matters of state. He taught the boy the needs of the people, and how to rule them justly, for some day he knew that Inga would be king in his place. One day he called his son to his side and said to him, "'Our island now seems peaceful enough, Inga, and we are happy and prosperous. But I cannot forget those terrible people of Regos and Corrigos. My constant fear is that they will send a fleet of boats to search for those of their race whom we defeated many years ago, and whom the sea afterwards destroyed. If the warriors come in great numbers, we may be unable to oppose them, for my people are little trained to fighting at best. They surely would cause us much injury and suffering. Are we then less powerful than in my grandfather's day? asked Prince Inga. The king shook his head thoughtfully. It's not that, said he, that you may fully understand that marvelous battle. I must confide to you a great secret. I have in my possession three magic talismans, which I have ever guarded with utmost care, keeping the knowledge of their existence from anyone else. But lest I should die and the secret be lost, I have decided to tell you what these talismans are and where they are hidden. Come with me, my son. He led the way through the rooms of the palace, 
until they came to the great banquet hall. There, stopping in the center of the room, he stooped down and touched a hidden spring in the tiled floor. At once one of the tiles sank downward, and the king reached within the cavity and drew out a silken bag. This bag he proceeded to open, showing Inga that it contained three great pearls, each one as big around as a marble. One had a blue tint, and one was of a delicate rose color, but the third was pure white. These three pearls, said the king, speaking in a solemn, impressive voice, are the most wonderful the world has ever known. They were gifts to one of my ancestors from the Mermaid Queen, a powerful fairy whom he once had the good fortune to rescue from her enemies. In gratitude for this favor, she presented him with these pearls. Each of the three possesses an astonishing power, and whoever is their owner may count himself a fortunate man. This one, having the blue tint, will give to the person who carries it a strength so great that no power can resist him. The one with the pink glow will protect its owner from all dangers that may threaten him, no matter from what source they may come. The third pearl, this one of pure white, can speak, and its words are always wise and helpful. "'What is this, my father?' exclaimed the prince, amazed. "'Do you tell me that a pearl can speak? It sounds impossible.' "'Your doubt is due to your ignorance of fairy powers,' returned the king gravely. "'Listen, my son, and you will know that I speak the truth.' He held the white pearl to Inga's ear, and the prince heard a small voice say distinctly, "'Your father is right.' Never question the truth of what you fail to understand, for the world is filled with wonders. I crave your pardon, dear father, said the prince, for clearly I heard the pearl speak, and its words were full of wisdom. The powers of the other pearls are even greater, resumed the king. Were I poor in all else, these gems would make me richer than any other monarch the world holds. "'I believe that,' replied Inga, looking at the beautiful pearls with much awe. "'But tell me, my father, why do you fear the warriors of Regos and Coregos, when these marvelous powers are yours?' "'The powers are mine only when I have the pearls upon my person,' answered King Kittycut. "'And I dare not carry them constantly for fear they might be lost.' Therefore I keep them safely hidden in this recess. My only danger lies in the chance that my watchmen might fail to discover the approach of my enemies and allow the warrior invaders to seize me before I could secure the pearls. I should in that case be quite powerless to resist. My father owned the magic pearls at the time of the great fight, of which you have so often heard, and the pink pearl protected him from harm, while the blue pearl enabled him and his people to drive away the enemy. Often have I suspected that the destroying storm was caused by the fairy mermaids, but that is a matter of which I have no proof. I have often wondered how we managed to win that battle, remarked Inga thoughtfully, but the pearls will assist us in case the warriors come again, will they not? 
"'They are as powerful as ever,' declared the king. "'Really, my son, I have little to fear from any foe. "'But lest I die and the secret be lost to the next king, "'I have now given it into your keeping. "'Remember that these pearls are the rightful heritage of all kings of Pingaree. "'If at any time I should be taken from you, Inga, "'guard this treasure well and do not forget where it is hidden.' "'I shall not forget,' said Inga. Then the king returned the pearls to their hiding-place, and the boy went to his own room to ponder upon the wonderful secret his father had that day confided to his care. End of chapter 1 I'm Rob Whiten from the Innsmouth Book Club. Join me and my fellow guide, John Chadwick, as we take you on a fortnightly tour of Innsmouth. We visit places such as the Picture House, the Library and Innsmouth Museum to discuss all aspects of weird fiction, whether it be book, film, music, TV or art. As well as that, we stop over at the Gilman House to have a chat with a resident guest that includes authors, artists, musicians, in fact, Lovecraftian creatives of all types. You can find our free shows on Patreon, and there you can also sign up as a patron, which brings you bonus content, plus a monthly PDF copy of Innsmouth News, which features articles, author spotlights, all the latest news and reviews, and more. You can find us at patreon.com, forward slash Innsmouth BC. We hope to see you soon, because remember, Innsmouth isn't just a place, it's a state of mind. This month's bandwidth is brought to you by Psychedelic Water. Legal psychedelics suspended in green tea and then put inside of a can for you. Psychedelic water. Who needs a Tillinghast resonator when you've got psychedelic water? Are you a curvy girl? Do you know a curvy girl? You love a curvy girl. Check out the show links for curvy girl. Plus size clothing for plus size women. Oh, Larry. Find, find student instruments, beginner's instruments. If you want to modify a guitar, check out Glary. If you want to get into guitars, if you love guitars, Things from another world. It's a store that has art. It has toys. It has comics, graphic novels. It is the place if you like that kind of stuff. Dave and I have talked about it in the show before. They were ever a sponsor. Dave likes to check out their stuff. I like to check out their stuff. They're pretty cool. Toys, art, graphic design. Not graphic design, graphic novels. For you, things from another world. Check out the show notes. Uh, check out the links on, on our website, PGPTCM. We've got specific stuff there to let you know what they've got going on for specials. Anyway, thank you again so much. Did you know that there is a THC derivative that's legal called Delta 8? Not to be confused with the Delta variant, but Delta 8. Yeah. Uh, you can get it in chewable form, and it's sold at 
what's what's Golden Goat CBD, one of our sponsors? Yeah, you can get some Delta 8, and you can also pick up some CBD chewables gummies. They've got smokables for the Delta 8, and they've got all kinds of stuff for CBD, and they can help you out. Uh, check the show notes, Golden Goat. And while you're in the show notes, hey, do you know about Donner? Donner has so many amazing musical instruments from all kinds, mandolins, banjos. They've got drums. They've got amplifiers. They've got guitars. They've got all kinds of stuff, and they ship worldwide. Check out Donner. I think you're going to like it, and I think Donner's going to have a good deal for you. So I, I love their electric guitars. A lot of the music that I perform for the show is either on one brand or it's on a Donner. So check out Donner. And check out some savings. All right. Thank you once again for listening to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. You can help show your support by going to the show notes and following any of the links that will tell you how to support the show and how to support our guests. And thank you to all of our guests who you can find in the show notes. Rate, review, subscribe. And remember, patrons get priority access to asking us questions, suggesting topics, even, I don't know, uh, submitting stuff. Actually, you don't have to be a patron to submit anything. That's how Dave got on the show, and that's how you can get on the show, too. It's the people's guide to the Cthulhu mythos. Rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends. Chapter 2, The Coming of King Rinky-Tink a few days after this, on a bright and sunny morning, when the breeze blew soft and sweet from the ocean, and the trees waved their leaf-laden branches, the royal watchman, whose duty it was to patrol the shore, came running to the king with news that a strange boat was approaching the island. At first the king was sore afraid, and made a step toward the hidden pearls, but the next moment he reflected that one boat— even if filled with enemies, would be powerless to injure him, so he curbed his fear and went down to the beach to discover who the strangers might be. Many of the men of Pingaree assembled there also, and Prince Inga followed his father. Arriving at the water's edge, they all stood gazing eagerly at the oncoming boat. It was quite a big boat, they observed, and covered with a canopy of purple silk, embroidered with gold. It was rowed by twenty men, ten on each side. As it came nearer, Inga could see that in the stern, seated upon a high-cushioned chair of state, was a little man who was so very fat that he was nearly as broad as he was high. This man was dressed in a loose silken robe of purple that fell in folds to his feet, while upon his head was a cap of white velvet curiously worked with golden threads, and having a circle of diamonds sewn around the band. At the opposite end of the boat stood an oddly shaped cage, and several large boxes of sandalwood were piled near the center of the craft. As the boat approached the shore, the fat little man got upon his feet, and bowed several times in the direction of those who had assembled to greet him, and as he bowed he flourished his white cap in an energetic manner. His face was round as an apple and nearly as rosy. When he stopped bowing he smiled in such a sweet and happy way that Inga thought he must be a very jolly fellow. 
The prow of the boat grounded on the beach, stopping its speed so suddenly that the little man was caught unawares and nearly toppled headlong into the sea. But he managed to catch hold of the chair with one hand and the hair of one of his rowers with the other, and so steadied himself. Then, again waving his jeweled cap around his head, he cried in a merry voice, "'Well, here I am at last!' "'So I perceive,' responded King Kitticut, bowing with much dignity. The fat man glanced at all the sober faces before him and burst into a rollicking laugh. Perhaps I should say it was half laughter and half a chuckle of merriment, for the sounds he emitted were quaint and droll and tempted every hearer to laugh with him. <laughs> he roared. <laughs> Didn't expect me, I see. <laughs> this is funny. It's really funny. Didn't know I was coming, did you? <laughs> this is certainly amusing, but I'm here just the same. Hush up said a deep growling voice you're making yourself ridiculous everyone looked to see where this voice came from but none could guess who had uttered the words of rebuke the rowers of the boat were all solemn and silent and certainly no one on the shore had spoken but the little man did not seem astonished in the least or even annoyed king kitticut now addressed the stranger saying courteously you are welcome to the kingdom of Pingaree. Perhaps you will deign to come ashore and, at your convenience, inform us whom we have the honor of receiving as a guest. Thanks, I will, returned the little fat man, waddling from his place in the boat and stepping with some difficulty upon the sandy beach. I am King Rinkitink of the city of Gilgad in the kingdom of Rinkitink. And I have come to Pingaree to see for myself the monarch who sends to my city so many beautiful pearls. I have long wished to visit this island, and so, as I said before, <laughs> here I am. I am pleased to welcome you, said King Kitticut. But why has your majesty so few attendants? Is it not dangerous for the king of a great country to make distant journeys in one frail boat? and with but twenty men oh i suppose so answered king rinkitink with a laugh <laughs> but what else could i do my subjects would not allow me to go anywhere at all if they knew it so i just ran away ran away exclaimed king kitticut in surprise <laughs> funny isn't it <laughs> laughed rinkitink and this is near as I can spell with letters the jolly sounds of his laughter. <laughs> Fancy a king running away from his own pee. <laughs> oh, well, but I had to, don't you see? Why? asked the other king. They're afraid I'll get into mischief. They don't trust me. <laughs> oh, dear me. Oh, oh, don't trust their own king. Funny, isn't it? "'No harm can come to you on this island,' said Kitticut, pretending not to notice the odd ways of his guest. "'And whenever it pleases you to return to your own country, I will send with you a fitting escort of my own people. In the meantime, pray accompany me to my palace, 
where everything shall be done to make you comfortable and happy. Much obliged, replied Rinkitink, tipping his white cap over his left ear and heartily shaking the hand of his brother monarch. I'm sure you can make me comfortable if you've plenty to eat. <laughs> and as for being happy, <laughs> why, that's my trouble. I'm too happy. But stop. I've brought you some presents in those boxes. Please order your men to carry them up to the palace. Certainly, answered King Kittycut, well pleased, and at once he gave his men the proper orders. And by the way, continued the fat little king, let them also take my goat from his cage. A goat? exclaimed the king of Pingaree. Exactly, my goat Bilbil. I always ride him wherever I go, for I'm not at all fond of walking, being a trifle stout. A kitty cut, a trifle stout. <laughs> the Pingaree people started to lift the big cage out of the boat, but just then a gruff voice cried, Be careful, you villains. And as the words seemed to come from the goat's mouth, the men were so astonished that they dropped the cage upon the sand with a sudden jar. There, I told you so, cried the voice angrily. You've rubbed the skin off my left knee. Why on earth didn't you handle me gently? There, there, Bill Bill, said King Rinkitink soothingly. Don't scold, my boy. Remember that these are strangers and we their guests. Then he turned to Kitty Cut and remarked, You have no talking goats on your island, I suppose? We have no goats at all, replied the king, nor have we any animals of any sort who are able to talk. I wish my animal couldn't talk either, said Rinkitink, winking comically at Inga, and then looking toward the cage. Ah, he is very cross at times, and indulges in language that is not respectful. I thought at first it would be fine to have a talking goat, with whom I could converse as I rode about my city on his back, but— but, 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 the rascal treats me as if I were a chimney-sweep instead of a king. <laughs> a chimney-sweep, and me a king. <gasps> Funny, isn't it? The last was addressed to Prince Inga, whom he chucked familiarly under the chin to the boy's great embarrassment. Why do you not ride a horse? asked King Kittycut. I can't climb upon his back, being rather stout, that's why. <laughs> stout, <laughs> rather stout. <laughs> he paused to wipe the tears of merriment from his eyes, and then added, But I can get on and off Bill Bill's back with ease. He now opened the cage, and the goat deliberately walked out and looked about him in a sulky manner. One of the rowers brought from the boat a saddle made of red velvet, and beautifully embroidered with silver thistles, which he fastened upon the goat's back. The fat king put his leg over the saddle and seated himself comfortably, saying, Lead on, my noble host, and we will follow. What? Up that steep hill? cried the goat. Get off my back at once, Rinkitink, or I won't budge a step. But consider, Bilbil, remonstrated the king. How am I to get up that hill unless I ride? Walk, growled Bilbil. But I'm too fat, really, Bilbil. I'm surprised at you. Haven't I brought you all this 
distance so you may see something of the world and enjoy life? And now you are so ungrateful as to refuse to carry me? Turn about is fair play, my boy. The boat carried you to the shore because you can't swim, and now you must carry me up the hill because I can't climb. Eh, Bill Bill? Isn't that reasonable? Well, 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 said the goat surlily. Keep quiet and I'll carry you. But you make me very tired, Rinky-Dink, with your ceaseless chatter. After making this protest, Bill-Bill began walking up the hill, carrying the fat king upon his back with no difficulty whatever. Prince Inga and his father, and all the men of Pingaree, were much astonished to overhear this dispute between King Rinky-Tink and his goat, but they were too polite to make critical remarks in the presence of their guests. King Kittycut walked beside the goat, and the prince followed after, the men coming last with the boxes of sandalwood. When they neared the palace, the queen and her maidens came out to meet them, and the royal guest was escorted in state to the splendid throne room of the palace. Here the boxes were opened, and King Rinkitink displayed all the beautiful silks and laces and jewelry with which they were filled. Every one of the courtiers and ladies received a handsome present, and the king and queen had many rich gifts, and Inga not a few. Thus the time passed pleasantly, until the chamberlain announced that dinner was served. Bilbil the goat declared that he preferred eating of the sweet rich grass that grew abundantly in the palace grounds, and Rinkitink said that the beast could never bear being shut up in a stable, so they removed the saddle from his back and allowed him to wander wherever he pleased. During the dinner, Inga divided his attention between admiring the pretty gifts he had received and listening to the jolly sayings of the fat king, who laughed when he was not eating and ate when he was not laughing, and seemed to enjoy himself immensely. "'For four days I have lived in that narrow boat,' said he, with no other amusement than to watch the rowers and quarrel with Bilbil. So I am very glad to be on land again with such friendly and agreeable people. You do us a great honor, said King Kittycut with a polite bow. Not at all, not at all, my brother. This Pingaree must be a wonderful island, for its pearls are the admiration of all the world. Nor will I deny the fact that my kingdom would be a poor one without the riches and glory it derives from the trade in your pearls. So I have wished for many years to come here to see you, but my people said, No, stay at home and behave yourself, or we'll know the reason why. Will they not miss your majesty from your palace in Gilgad? inquired Kittycut. I think not, answered Rinkitink. You see, one of my clever subjects has written a parchment entitled How to Be Good, and I believe it would benefit me to study it, as I consider the accomplishment of being good one of the fine arts. I had just scolded severely my Lord High Chancellor for coming to breakfast without combing his eyebrows, and was so sad and regretful at having hurt the poor man's feelings, that I decided to shut myself up in my own room and studied the scroll until I knew how to be good. <laughs> to be good. Clever idea, that, wasn't it? Might 
pretty clever. And I issued a decree that no one should enter my room, under pain of my royal displeasure, until I was ready to come out. They're awfully afraid of my royal displeasure, although not a bit afraid of me. Then I put the parchment in my pocket and escaped through the back door to my boat, and here I am. Ho, 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 ho. Oh, imagine the fuss there would be in Gilgad if my subjects knew where I am this very minute. I would like to see that parchment, said the solemn-eyed Prince Inga, for if it indeed teaches one to be good, it must be worth its weight in pearls. Oh, it is a fine essay, said Rinkitink, and beautifully written with a goose quill. Listen to this, you'll enjoy it. <laughs> enjoy it. <laughs> he took from his pocket a scroll of parchment tied with a black ribbon, and having carefully unrolled it, he proceeded to read as follows. A good man is one who is never bad. How's that, eh? <laughs> Fine thought. What? <clears throat> Therefore, in order to be good, you must avoid those things which are evil. Ho, 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 ho! How clever! When I get back, I shall make the man who wrote that a royal hippolorum, for beyond question he is the wisest man in my kingdom, as he has often told me himself. With this, Rinkitink lay back in his chair and chuckled his queer chuckle until he coughed and coughed until he choked and choked until he sneezed. And he wrinkled his face in such a jolly droll way that few could keep from laughing with him, and even the good queen was forced to titter behind her fan. When Rinkitink had recovered from his fit of laughter and had wiped his eyes upon a fine lace handkerchief, Prince Inga said to him, the parchment speaks truly. Yes, it is true beyond doubt, answered Rinkitink. And if I could persuade Bilbil to read it, he would be a much better goat than he is now. Oh, here is another selection. To avoid saying unpleasant things, always speak agreeably. That would hit Bilbil to a dot. And here is one that applies to you, my prince. Good children are seldom punished for the reason that they deserve no punishment. Now, I think that is neatly put, and shows the author to be a deep thinker. But the advice that has impressed me the most is the following paragraph. You may not find it as pleasant to be good as it is to be bad, but other people will find it more pleasant. Pleasant. Ho, 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 ho. <laughs> Isn't that? Other people will find it more pleasant. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> oh, more pleasant. Oh, dear me, dear me, dear me. Ah, therein lies a noble incentive to be good. And whenever I get time, I'm surely going to try it. Then he wiped his eyes again with the lace handkerchief and, suddenly remembering his dinner, seized his knife and fork and began eating. End of chapter two. Show notes. Check them out. That's where you're going to find sponsors and guests and T-shirts and stickers and high fives. All right. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you later. 
Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening to the show. Music is by me, D.B. Spitzer, edited and produced by me, D.B. Spitzer. The interview portions are always edited and produced by David Heath. And, hey, you can find us wherever you find podcasts. So check out pgttcm.com. And if you don't want to check out the Patreon, if you don't want to do that and you want to help out the show, just go to sponsors or buy T-shirts or anything like that. Anything helps. Thank you again.